I love that video. It, it, I never feel like I need to teach after that. It's like, yeah, that's what it's about. All right, have a good day. <laughs> uh, but this is, that's really what Sabbath is about right there is that whatever the season, whether it's great or whether it's just pouring down in torrential floods, uh, that we can embrace the season and find joy where we're at. And it really is my, my hope uh, that you all would find some life-giving practices here in this series on Sabbath uh, that would really bless and enrich your life. Now, if I were to pick a a universal symbol uh, that kind of embodied what rest is, I think really the only thing that I could come up with would be a hammock. I mean, everything about it says rest, purely by design, because uh, if you're able to get into one uninjured, by the time you get into one, uh, you're probably not going to be going anywhere for a while because it's so tricky to get in and out. And then uh, by design, it keeps you from doing anything. I mean, you have to, your options are lay there or take a nap. Uh, that's it. It's like a productivity straitjacket, so you can't do anything. And apparently we need this because... Interestingly enough, since 2014, hammock sales have doubled, and in the last year alone, they have increased by 30% from the previous year. I thought that was fascinating. Uh, Sales are largely popular among millennials, but span across all generations. And I think the reason why sales of hammocks have skyrocketed is because they've they've tapped into this, uh, this retail buzzword, experience. They're able to sell the experience of rest. And we are, as a society, breaking the speed limits of life, pushing the boundaries of productivity. We're doing more with less, we're becoming more and more efficient in all of our processes. We're able to become a part of everything and anything all at the same time. But I think the, the, the consensus of everyone is that our infinite productivity takes its toll on us. Especially when we don't leave margin in our lives and when we don't make rest a priority. And oftentimes, you know, rest is something I think everyone craves, you know, in whatever season you're in, it's like, oh man, if I could just have five minutes, you know, that's kind of like the mantra sometimes of if I could just have rest, but it's oftentimes something we don't make a priority until we are depleted, our buckets are empty, and we are way beyond the help of a Snickers bar. (laughs) Now... If I had an Achilles heel, this would be it, not making rest a priority. I, I'm an optimizer. That's just how I function. That's kind of my personality. If I consistently have uh, an amount of time open during the day, then I'm thinking, how, what can I do during that time to improve a skill or get better at something, even if it's just 10 minutes? Uh, to give you an example, uh, when we're going to leave somewhere, my wife Becky will say, all right, we've got 15 minutes to leave, or until we leave. And so then in my mind, I'm thinking, great, I've got 12 minutes to do something. I might go water the garden or pull some weeds, or I could hop on the rowing machine for 12 minutes. I've got one minute to change, and then boom, out the door on time. Let's do it. And that's kind of how I work. And then sometimes Becky, she'll look at me and she says, Eric, sometimes you make me nervous. <laughs> so I've learned to, to not optimize that time as much right before we leave for places. But when we do this, when we fill all of that space, it begins to, to drain us and take its toll on us. And, and I realized, yet again, uh, this toll that it takes on, uh, on my life. Uh, earlier this spring, I was dropping something off to a friend, and we were standing in his driveway talking, and he says, hey, man, what have you been up to? And I couldn't think of a single thing I had been up to in the last few days. Not, like, not one thing. 
Like, I just totally drew a blank in the moment there. And it wasn't for lack of things going on. We had just bought a new vehicle earlier that week, and I was on my way that night to sell our current vehicle to a, or our old vehicle to a, a, someone who was buying it. The day before, we had just hosted a solo festival for 156 graders playing their instruments uh, that we had been working with and uh, to perform their solos. And not to mention all the things going on at home and the stuff happening with family and kids and everything in between and, and getting ready for snack day the next day and all of that stuff. But I realized that I was guilty of just passing through all of these moments and not truly living in them. But I feel like this level of depletion is inevitable with, with, the, with the way that our, our society works and drives us and almost the expectation that we have to do more with less and constantly optimize everything and work, work, work so we can have more and more and more. And whether you're working multiple jobs to make ends meet, uh, whether you're parenting young kids, whether, whether it's the meetings and appointments at work or serving this email machine that drives our lives, uh, or uh, the, not to mention the stay-at-home moms and stay-at-home dads who there is no boundary between work and everything else. It just all is, and it's all up to them to keep everything afloat and keep everyone happy and everything clean, all to see it just shatter in front of them and to get dirty again, all to pick up the pieces again the next day and try and make the world go around again. And so it's no wonder whatever age or stage or season that you're in that we can find ourselves just dry and weary and just craving rest. And I, I mean like stillness that fills our souls. A rest that brings restoration. And this is why I feel like this, this topic of Sabbath is more relevant to us as a people today as it ever has been. We desperately need this, this gracious gift that God has entrusted to us. And as I found out when I was studying this, I had a completely different perception of what Sabbath really is. And my hope is to just is to share that with you today. And wherever you're at on the, the spectrum of belief, whether you've, you're you know, following Jesus with your life or whether you're here today and you've got more questions than answers and you're not sure what to do with it all, I think that in all of this, you will get a glimpse into the heart of God and what he desires for his people and his, his unending love for us that he may just bless his people. And so, that, so wherever you're at, I hope is that you would see that in all of it as well. So we're going to take a little journey here. Buckle up. Here we go. Um, we're going to start in Exodus 20, verse 8. We're going to take a look at the original commandment that God gave his people. Uh, let's see here. All right, so in Exodus 20, verse 8, God tells his people, he says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now, a good working definition of holy would be set apart. Different than, the, uh, the, different than everything else. So he's saying, set this day apart, make it different than everything else. And in verse 10, he goes on to say, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So he's saying, set this day apart and dedicate it to, to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work. And, and so what God is saying here, he's saying, hey, I know you. I know your tendencies, and I know your continual hunger for more, that you will just work and work and work yourself into the ground and do, 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 do everything. And I'm going to give you this gift of Sabbath to save you from yourselves, to stop for, for a little bit and just enjoy what is. 
to fill your souls and to focus on what's important. And so God's people did this and it was good. Now we're going to fast forward 600 years here. And over this course of 600 years, people started focusing on the wrong things in this set apart time, the Sabbath time. And it, be, it began to become uh, de- more debilitating and draining because they were focusing on the wrong things. So 600 years after this, Jesus comes on the scene. And uh, as he does so well, he sets our sights back to what Sabbath is really about and what is important for us to focus on on Sabbath. And so at the beginning of his ministry, he stands up in the temple and he proclaims, uh, proclaims why he's here and his purpose. And it's in Luke chapter 4, 18, verses 18 and 19. So he stands up in the temple and he reads this prophecy from Isaiah. And, and you're probably like, I don't even know what that is. It's basically someone a long time ago said, hey, this is going to happen at some point in the future. And Jesus stands up to read this. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is my favorite scene in the Bible because he stands up in the temple and he proclaims, here's what I'm here to do. And then he hands the scroll back to the person there and he sits down and everyone's just sitting there like staring at him. And, and then he's, in his response to this, I'm sure there was like this awkward moment of silence probably, you know, like everyone's like, what's just happened here? And he says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I mean, like mic drop moment there, if they had microphones back then. This is like this pinnacle moment where Jesus is declaring what he is here for. That he's saying, I'm here uh, to bring restoration in the lives of, of, our, of everybody. But what's interesting is he does every one of those things, those five things he mentions, he does every one of them on the Sabbath. When you look at through all of the Gospels, and the accounts of Jesus' life, every time that uh, Jesus is mentioned doing something on the Sabbath, it's a throwback to this verse here. And he is fulfilling one of these things in this, this, uh, uh, that he read uh, in the temple at the beginning of his ministry. And he's saying that Sabbath is about restoration, not debilitation. Now I want to give you a few examples, uh, and, and don't get caught up in all of the, in the you know, multiple scripture references. I want you to see the big picture of what's happening here. So in Matthew 12, 9, we see him bringing good news for the poor. There's a poor man who his hand was shriveled uh, from birth and and he wasn't able to use it. And so he had a hard time working and really was just left to to beg and, and just scrape by in life. But his encounter with Jesus Uh, Jesus brought healing to this man and said that he restored his hand just like the other one. And he brought restoration and wholeness in this this man's life. Now the Pharisees, they got a little bit upset about this. And they said, well, you're working on the Sabbath. I mean, should you really be doing this? And Jesus' response is, you know, if you had a, a, a sheep that fell into a well, wouldn't you pull it out? Like this is what Sabbath is about. And I think the same is for us as we, during the week, we fall into these dark places. We get trapped or we feel like we can't breathe because of the overload in our lives. Coming into contact with him restores us. And this is what Sabbath is about. In Mark one twenty one, he sets the oppressed free 
And he proclaims freedom for the prisoners. There's this man who is oppressed by this, this evil spirit and held prisoner by this evil spirit. And Jesus casts out this evil spirit from the man. And when he does, the evil spirit cries out and he says, why are you interfering with us? You see what happens there? Contact with Jesus' presence interfered with the stronghold that this evil spirit had on this man. And all they needed was to keep him distracted and distant from Jesus to keep their power over him. Connection to Jesus was what drove the spirit, that evil spirit away from this man and, and brought restoration in his life. And this is what Sabbath is about. It is about reconnecting to him and driving away the darkness in us. Sabbath is about restoration. In John 9, 1 through 12, we see recovery of sight for the blind, good news for the poor. Once again, we have this poor man. He, he's left to just beg and, and just barely scrape by in life. He's been blind from birth. He's never seen a day in his life. And Jesus takes a pretty unorthodox method. Uh, he he has this encounter with this man, and they talk, and they have this exchange of words, and he decides to spit in the, in the dirt and make some mud in his hands and wipe it on the guy's eyes, and he says, you know, go and wash this off, and you'll be healed. And I'm sure the, like, this is like a little strange, and I'm sure the guy is probably thinking, well, uh, I've tried everything else, so why not? So <laughs> he goes and washes off, and the man is healed because he had faith in Jesus, because he was connected to Jesus at that encounter with him. He used to be poor and begging and blind, not able to see life for what it really was, just barely surviving and scraping by. And, and I'll tell you what, when I overloaded and burn out, this is how I feel. I feel like I can't see life for what it really is. I feel like I am just scraping by, just passing through the moments, not really enjoying what really could be. But what's cool is Jesus doesn't just give him something to, to get him by for the day. He brings abundance, over abundance in his life. He brings complete restoration that he may truly live. And he's declaring in his actions on, on the Sabbath that this is what it is all about. It is about restoration. In all of these cases, people's lives are reoriented to him. They are taken from a place of brokenness and restored to truly live. Okay, now I saved the best one for last. Matthew 28. Okay, so proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. That kind of sounds funny. Really what, what that means is it's the day when salvation and favor of God abounds greatly to all people. And in Matthew 28, we're picking up in the story here after Jesus' death and after he's been put in the tomb. And Matthew chapter 28 starts off, it says, After the Sabbath, at the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. So at dawn's first light, they, they, they make it to the tomb so that they can go and, 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 and mourn and see the tomb, the place where Jesus was. But when they get there, you know the story. We hear this at Easter, right? This account of what happens. The stone was rolled away, and they walk into the tomb to see what's going on, and there's an angel in there. And the angel tells them, they says, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. Jesus was restored and rose from the dead on the Sabbath. 
You see, on the day that Jesus' blood hit the ground, it redefined our future forever, not just because of his death, but because of his restoration and completeness, that he might rise from the dead and take his throne in our hearts for all of eternity. You see, the, the showstopper, the definitive statement, the bottom line that he is saying is that Sabbath is about the restoration of the kingdom of God in our lives. And this is where we find true rest that brings restoration. Sabbath is about remembering that in the middle of our situation, God is with us. That in the middle of the darkness, that when we feel hopeless, maybe in the middle of the turmoil, the conflict, the overwhelming weight and pressure of life, the, the overwhelming worry and anxiety of the things around us, that when we feel like we are just about to break underneath it all, Sabbath is a reminder that God is with us. And he is with you. And so if we were to sum this up into one statement, what does it look like to live this? This kind of Sabbath lifestyle that Jesus was proclaiming in his words and his actions all throughout his ministry, I would say would be this. To engage in practices that bring restoration and set our focus on him. To engage in practices that bring restoration in our lives and set our focus on him. I think for a lot of, for the longest time, I used to think Sabbath was like, okay, we have to sit quietly in the house and so quiet you can hear the clock ticking in the background and that's Sunday, okay, let's go on to Monday now. <laughs> to me, it's like uh, maybe five minutes of that and I'll be good. Um, but that's, like, that's totally missing the mark. Now, stillness is important and we're, we'll talk about that, but Sabbath is about so much more and what he is declaring and proclaiming here is that it is about rest that brings restoration in our lives. And for every person, this is going to look a little bit different. It's going it's to play out a little bit differently just based on how God's wired us and the things that make us come alive. But I want to provide a few just maybe helpful next steps you can take in, in applying this truth. That maybe just a, a step forward in establishing this Sabbath lifestyle that we could just have glimpses of this rest that brings restoration throughout our week. And I'm not even talking about setting aside a whole day of the week yet. That's, don't even worry about that. But what I'm thinking about is just, just think about these and how we could just put glimpses of this in our lives right now. So the, the, first, uh, ap the first way we can apply this would be uh, setting time apart. Setting time apart to enjoy what is. Now you're probably sitting there thinking, yeah, but Eric, you don't know my schedule. We are so busy. I mean, when we go to fill out name tags, when we go to places, it says, hello, I am. And instead of putting my name, I just put so busy so people will stop asking and wasting my precious time asking how I am. <laughs> and you're probably thinking, how can I even afford 10 minutes in a day? It's packed from when we get up to when I go to bed, and I wish I could just go to bed earlier. And there comes a time 
in our lives where we have to decide because we will find uh, this lack of, of fulfillment and joy in our relationships, in our work, in our rest, in our play, and all of these things until we really decide to identify what is important and what is critical. Because there will be an infinite number of important things in our life vying for our time, vying for our intention, and pulling us away from what is critical. And when we identify the things that are critical in our lives, we'll know what important things to reduce or remove from our schedule. Now, it's kind of like this. Let's say you have a... a, a home repair that's going to be coming up in six months, and you know that it's going to cost $1,000. So <clears throat> you would plan out, okay, between now and six months, we're going to need to set aside this much money each month so we have that amount to pay that bill when it comes. I mean, that, would, that would make sense. And that's what this Sabbath is like. When we set aside time and energy, then we know that there's going to be an expense that we have to use that time and energy. But what's really cool, when we engage in this Sabbath lifestyle, this rest that brings restoration, we set aside time, but then there's this God factor that he multiplies this time and energy, and then we get to use it. We set aside time, he multiplies that time and energy, and then we get to use it. And so this is how God works in that time that we set aside. And it might just be starting with 10 minutes in the morning. For me, I have 10 minutes in the chair in the morning that before the whole world starts spinning that I have to like push everything out and just be still there. Sometimes I'm just sitting there. Sometimes I'm praying. Sometimes I'm reading. Sometimes I'm writing but just 10 minutes of stillness and just starting there and just finding those glimpses of time throughout the day. So when we set that time apart, there's a couple of important things, I think, to be able to make most use of that. So the second uh, point here is to get control of our minds. Now, this may seem like kind of a, that, like an odd statement, like get control of your mind. But really, this is uh, an important thing. I feel like a, the greatest enemy of rest is the battleground of our minds. And, and two of the, the most impending threats are our to-do list and the worries and burdens. You know, we wake up thinking about work. And then we go to work and we think about work. And then we get home from work and we think about what happened at work. And then finally, when we have a chance to sit down and rest at night, we think about what we have to do at work the next day. And in between all of those moments, we're thinking about our to-do list. Well, I need to get this done around the house, and then I need to do this and this. And then it consumes our thoughts and our minds, and we go round and round the to-do cycle and down and down the drain, and it drains and drains and drains. Or maybe the, the worry and the anxiety, the things that uh, make us nervous in life or the things that we're not sure about, the burdens, or we get stuck in these thought cycles replaying past mistakes. And, or maybe we're, we harbor this bitterness from past situations. And, and we get so upset about it that we make up uh, an imaginary situation with this person. Uh, and what, you know, this person's so bad, they would probably do this. And if they did that, then I would say this, right? And then we get even more upset towards that person. And it eats us alive. And it sounds totally silly when I say it out loud, but it happens to everybody. And so we get in these thought cycles, these negative thought cycles, whether it's worry or anxiety or bitterness or the to-do list, and down and down the drain we go, and it just depletes us. So whether we have space or not, we don't have control and space in our mind to find that restoration. And so we have to draw clear boundaries in our minds. For me, this is a, this is a challenge um, and this is probably one of the biggest things I, I feel like I struggle with on a daily basis. And nine months ago, there was a, a verse that 
I feel like just saved me and helped me in this. It gave me power to push back in this situation, to be able to draw clear boundaries. Because the only way to replace these cycles, these thought cycles, to, the only way to remove them is to replace them with something healthier. And for me, it was Psalm 63. When someone mentioned that, and it was in a teaching, and I, and I read that, and it just was like, oh. Like this verse just had power to reset my focus to God to bring me closer to him so that those things couldn't keep me distant and distracted from, from Jesus. So that, that darkness would have its power over me, but it reconnected me to him. And so this is like when I start the day off, this is what I'm saying. And throughout the day, this is what reorients me back to him. Psalm 63 says, you, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. And because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. You, God are my God. His word has power to push back on those thought cycles that just drain us. And it creates that space in our mind so that we can experience him in fullness. That none of those other things are God over us, but that you, God, are my God. Nothing else. And there are times throughout the day where I have to just stop and I just have to declare that in my mind, that you, God, are my God. And it's what brings my focus back to him. So getting control of our minds for the time that we do set apart. Right, the third application point and final application point of how we can apply this truth. Practicing his presence. Now, there are probably volumes of books that could fill this room about how to practice the presence of God. And I feel like this is probably one of the topics that's easiest to overcomplicate. So I'm going to take the least complicated thing to explain this. A ballerina snow globe that my daughter let me use for this morning. And... Uh, <laughs> And this is, this is really what life is like. So let's pretend uh, that the ballerina in here is God. I, sorry, this is the only snow globe we had. Um, and, but really, this is what life is like sometimes. You know, we get busy and we got things going on and we're shuffling kids from activity to activity. And then so-and-so said this rude thing to me the other day. And man, it just made me so mad. And then we got all of these things to worry about. And then, oh yeah, it's our kid's snack day tomorrow and it's nine o'clock. So I got to go to the grocery store so I can bag up treats for 26 kids. Not that it's ever happened to us before, but this is what life is like. And then we're in this flurry of things happening. And all we're looking at is the flurry of what's going on around us. We're not seeing what's in the flurry there. Our focus is on all of the stuff that's happening. And then we finally get five minutes to just be still and rest. And we're like, okay, God, I don't see you. All I see is this flurry around me. I better just get back to it because I'm wasting time here. And so we move and we move and we move. But when we make time to just be still, to reset our focus to him, those things just begin to settle. And we begin to see him in everything that we do. 
We see that he is there with us in all, all the time and everything that's going on. And then we recognize that. And then throughout the day, when things start to stir up and things start to kick up, we still see him through the flurry. We're not looking at the flurry around it, but what we are looking at is God in the midst of, of the season that we are in, whether it's the torrential rain and flood or whatever it is, that God is with us wherever we are. And we're able to talk with him about our day. God, thank you so much that you have called me to do this today, that I get to work with these students or that I get to clean this bathroom so that someone has a clean place to go, that I get to whatever it is that I get to do, praising him that we could do it for his glory, that he is in everything that we are doing. For me, like when I'm outside in nature and I see the wind blowing the whole tree line and they're moving in tandem in unison, it's like they are just bringing praise to the heavens. Or when I'm in the trout stream and I feel like the, the, the weight of the water pushing against me, it just reminds me of the, the presence of the Holy Spirit rushing through our lives. Should we set our focus on him to do that? Or when I get to go mountain biking and, and just tearing through the woods on the dirt trail and you get to see the sun shining through the green leaves and you feel the fresh air and the burn in your lungs and it's just like, man, you feel so alive in that moment, but that God is with you there and praising him in that moment and just listening to him and feeling him in that moment, letting yourself experience him so that whatever is going on, you see him, whether the dust is settled or whether it is totally kicked up, that our sights are set on him so that we may experience him and live with him in everything that we do. This is what Sabbath rest is all about. And when we get those glimpses of him throughout our day, we crave it, we hunger for it, we want more of it. And so then just 15 minutes of that a day isn't enough because like, God, I want to experience more of this in my life. Maybe I'm going to find two 15-minute chunks or maybe there's a two-hour chunk in a day. And then we think, God, I want more, and maybe a half a day. And, and it starts with just that step of taking a chunk to experience this Sabbath lifestyle. Now, here's the kicker, though. This rest that brings restoration. It is a gracious gift from our God, but it is not just for us. Because when we are disciplined enough, to engage in this rest that brings restoration. We are able to operate out of a place of overflow so that when someone says some snarky comment to us and then rather than just reeling it back to them, we're able to then see the situation for what it is. Maybe we could respond in love and grace that is completely undeserved that might just shake them out of their horrible day or horrible situation that they're in that's causing them to act this way. Or maybe that when we see a need, maybe we have that our buckets are filled up enough and maybe even overflowing that we could respond to that need out of love and grace and compassion because that is what God has called us to do. When we engage in this rest that brings restoration, it brings fullness in everything around us into the lives around us. But it starts with having the discipline to set that time aside, to engage with him in everything we are doing. And so my hope is that these practical steps may be a start to help you unwrap one of the most gracious gifts that God has given us. He loves us so dearly. And he wants what is best for us. You know, my, my deepest hope and my prayer is that every Sunday, because of what we have encountered here, it would be impossible to leave the same way to leave and to live the same way that we came in. And my hope is that 
today when you leave, that you may know the heart of God maybe just a little better, that you may see his heart for his people to live a life abundantly, to live lives in, in, in restoration. And maybe to, to accept and unwrap this gracious gift of Sabbath, this rest that brings restoration. Let's pray. Father, thank you. You are good. Thank you that you love us, that you are relentless in pursuing us. And God, that you gave everything that we may know you. And God, that we may experience a life abundant. And that we may have this gift of rest that brings restoration, Lord. And I pray that in these moments that follow, Lord, that you would minister us through your Holy Spirit. That you would show us what things in our lives maybe we can remove and just space that we can just to create space, Lord. And I pray that right now in this, this, this last song of worship, Lord, that we could just have this moment with you to just experience you in your fullness and in your presence, God. In Jesus' name.